What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. This is Resistance in Residence, where we profile artists using their gifts to change the world. This week's Resistance in Residence artist is Bay Area rapper and hip-hop journalist Rocky Rivera, whose album Gangster of Love celebrates a 10-year anniversary this week. Rocky, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And remind me, did you work with me on that album 10 years ago? Was that something that we worked on together? I did. I was working with you around the release of the album. Yeah. That was super fun. I remember that. I remember it stormed that day. <laughs> it was a crazy blackout that night, but it was a fun night overall. So that was that was a lot of fun. That album release party was a really good time, but... Before we get into that album, which we will do a little bit more later, I want to introduce you to our folks who aren't familiar at all. I'm hoping we could start with some background. You came up in San Francisco to a Filipino immigrant family. Can you talk about your relationship to San Francisco, how you came into yourself there as a community and politically focused young person? San Francisco is pr pretty much tatted on me. I mean, I rep it. I have 415 and in every username that I have. And I think that a lot of San Franciscans, the ones that were raised and some born and raised in the city, feel the same way. You know, we carry San Francisco on our backs because we can't afford it. That's that's one thing. But growing up in San Francisco, to me, in the early 80s um, and 90s was a blessing as a young person of color because it felt like the whole city was ours. It didn't matter what neighborhood you were in. You had a view of the bay. It didn't matter how much money you had. You were able to afford to watch a Giants game, a 49ers game. And um, San Francisco means a lot to me because it is my home. And it's the first place that I made my home after my family immigrated from Angeles City, Philippines, um, a naval base over there called Clark Air Base, over here to Treasure Island Naval Base, where I was raised as a military brat. So San Francisco not only is something that I used to look at from Treasure Island every single day, um, with the best view in the whole bay, but it's really the politics, the people, the diversity um, influence my music throughout. So I owe a lot to San Francisco. So one of the things I want to dive a little bit deeper into there is like, how you ended up picking up the pen. That was something I know you did at a young age. And maybe if you could talk about, you know, I think of you both as a hip hop journalist and also as a rapper, which one came first and how did that experience lead you to the, to the other? That's great. I mean, that's a good question. When you're a writer and you don't have any representation, whether it's in the media that you see or the music that you hear, it's a very, um, insular internal process at first so at first it's poetry at first it's journals um trying to find my voice and then as you get older as your story continues and you get more confident as a writer that's when i started deciding hey i'm actually really good at this interview um situation because i'm naturally curious about everything and that's where my love for journalism came um, really was growing up talking on the phone and getting these books and having these questions to keep the conversation going. And being a conversationalist to me made me curious about the world and it made me 
uh, want to know more about people. But when it came to actual journalism, I was very conflicted about it because when I went to San Francisco State, there weren't a lot of journalists to look like me that came from the city like me, that talk like me, that wanted to cover the stories that I did. So I felt very marginalized, um, which is why I ended up doing hip hop and covering hip hop, because really that was the one thing that was the culture that adopted me is what I like to say in my music. So it went from admiring hip hop from afar as a spectator, as a cultural commentator to finally saying, hey, you know what? I think I can do this and um, actually making it so that I was talking about myself instead of being kind of like a fly on the wall. So you said you didn't see yourself represented among journalists and, and you had a focus in the journalism that you wanted to do that other people in your schooling, at least, didn't have as much. I'm wondering if you saw yourself represented more in music itself. Well, you know, I think about my children right now. You know, my daughter's five, my son is 15, and they're growing up in a world where seeing um a famous singer, anybody. It could be Bruno Mars, it could be Olivia Rodrigo, and they have Filipino lineage. And it's commonplace now. And growing up, we had to really search for it. We knew everybody who was Filipino, part Filipino. And uh, it was so few and far in between that, um, especially in hip hop, hip hop being so new, um, back then when I immigrated, um, I knew that it would take a while to see somebody that looked like me because we were still figuring out uh, our belonging in this country and and within a black art form itself. So for me, it was wondering, like, if this is a black art form, what do I have to say about it um, and how can I use it to um, help the community and not destroy the community? And I think that took me going to SF State and learning about my history and um, ethnic studies to really think, oh, this is what I want to write about. I don't want to just do hip hop. I want to uh, use hip hop as a medium to connect people and to get my values across. So I'm, I'm saying this to say that my daughter is like raised with a Filipino Blues Clues host. Her favorite pop star is Filipino. And it's something that if I had that, I don't know how early I would have started. I might have started in high school. I might have started in middle school. And I just can't even imagine how much more. Like Basically, I know that it wasn't meant to be in that way because my participation in the art form is the reason why that's possible. And I think for a lot of pioneering Filipinos in hip hop, um, we had to do what we did without that representation because we had to be that representation. Well, and you talk a lot about representation in your music. I want to talk about your lyricism for a minute. I, I guess just like when you when you sit down to write, when you sit down to write raps, what do you think about when you're writing and where do you draw lyrical ideas from? That might be the representation line that we were just talking about, but also more broadly. Yeah, it can, it can come from anywhere. It's hard to say where your inspiration comes from or when it strikes. And I think when you first start out, because I've been in the game for a while, it's really this need to tell your story. And so you're trying to figure out, like, as a young adult, who you are, 
But also, what am I going to rap about that's going to stand the test of time? And so for me, that was just the values that I learned at SF State. And so learning about myself, my history, even getting my name, Rocky Rivera, which is from a book that Jessica Hagedorn, a Peni author, wrote, that all happened because of the fact that I was in the right place at the right time. And so I talk about representation, um, but it's hard to rap about it because it's not necessarily what hip hop's about, per se. You know, like you're just up there. The sport is very boastful. It's very much about being the best. And I think coming into that as a Filipino woman, which is rare, I had to just have that same attitude I had coming here from the Philippines to the States, going to these public schools where it's like, I don't know how to navigate this. This is not my culture. And I had to learn the culture, be a part of the culture, love the culture, and hopefully push the culture forward. So when I did finally get an opportunity years later, decades later, to get on the mic, it was just a reflection of what I saw around me. And um, I think that anybody that has written about themselves or a memoir or even an essay, um, when you're underrepresented, you want to get as many versions of stories out there that represent your people because there is no one representation that suits us all. So this was always for the young Filipino girls that never fit in, that never had a voice, that wanted to say something, that were tiny but mighty, and um, and that we knew we were talking about. We just weren't on no no bull, basically. And we'll get into it more in just a minute as we talk more about your album, Gangster of Love. This week, it's the 10th anniversary of that album. I'm wondering if you can talk about it a little bit what it meant to you when it was first released and maybe now looking back if that meaning has changed for you now that you have a handful of albums new chapters in your career a second child all that mm-hmm. um gangster love 10 years ago it's almost a full circle moment because there's certain clips and certain movements that were happening when this album dropped that i'm seeing um cycle back and i'm seeing a resurgence of and when i moved to oakland in Uh, 2011, end of 2011, beginning of 2012, it was around the same time that um, Oscar Grant got shot by BART police. And that kicked off protests that were basically on my front door. And it was also at the same time as Occupy Wall Street. That all, all that, those noises, the cacophony of sounds was really what's kicked off my album. I started with the chaos of a protest, the chaos of police telling people to back up. And that was literally what I heard outside of my door when I first moved to Oakland. So I used it all as an inspiration to make more resistance music, as I call protest music, and really be the sound of what somebody who was in a city like this hears every single day. So when I think about it and all the things that are happening now, so many things have changed, but so many things haven't changed. We still don't have any accountability for the police, um, especially when they kill unarmed black folks. Um, Nothing has changed about the way we deal with that. Um, There's war that's happening, endless war. And so this this actual album plays on those same themes of love and war and um 
an endless war that the U.S. is always engaged in. So that's definitely reflected in the lyrics, especially um, in songs like No Love um, and Call to Arms. And then um, songs also like um, Airmail, which I just performed recently um, live for the first time, uh, that talk about my story coming to San Francisco. Um, it, it's and then I just finished this memoir, to, uh, you know, a year ago. So it's it's there's all of these full circle moments that are happening. But the I think the most important one that's happening right now is um, in that airmail song. I included a sample of President Marcos declaring martial law which affected my family's immigration here and many Filipinos immigration here. And 10 years later, now the Philippines has elected his son as their president, which was so disheartening um, 10 years later to feel like we've gone backwards in that sense in the Philippines. So, and this was all these past 10 years have been so different simply because social media has taken off and they say that the philippines has the highest rate of social media use so as a journalist what i know is that they have the highest rate of social media disinformation and in these 10 years that's absolutely what has happened to my people back home and even people here out in the states so in in these short 10 years that's really what's happened all right you took us back to view like how things were feeling when you went to write this album 10 years ago or before you wrote it, uh, but before it was out 10 years ago, I'm wondering if you can just bring us right into the album by sharing a verse with us. Sure. Sure. This is the first song. It's the title track called gangster of love. Some people call me the gangster of love, elegant and thugging. Say it to your face. You ain't gonna leave me here with nothing. Ride for the die for the motherfucking block. Guns cock for the shot. Don't be a gangster for nothing. Gangster of love. Rider for the people. Banging on the system till our bank accounts are equal. All my soldiers get ready to ride and go rally up the troops because it's a war outside. It's the return of the general. Military leader. Charismatic speaker here to resurrect the people from the shackles that they wear in. Attitudes they harbor on for generations, civil war survivors. So they try assimilation, whiten up their skin tone, talk with an accent, tailor up their ringtone. Got the misconception they can cover up their history, land of opportunity, colonized mentality. Gangsters throw your set up, enemies get wet up. It's more than claiming turf if the community is fed up. Pointing at each other instead of pointing out the problems. Gunning down our people for a couple measly dollars. Reaganomic era. Alcoholic addicts, anger in our hearts, so the violence masks sadness. The media always paints me as a savage, but I'm here to... <laughs> oh, dang. But I'm here to lead the masses clear away from all this madness. Yeah. <laughs> Almost forgot that last line. <laughs> that's Rocky Rivera from the a verse from the first song on the album, Gangster of Love, that's turning 10 this week. Rocky, your lyrics are unapologetically feminist and at the same time demanding to be approached with respect for your craft and skill, not specifically as a woman. One of your lines from the record that I often think about whenever people talk about gender and hip hop is femc because my gender is irrelevant. I'm wondering if you could talk about 
why is it important to you not to be defined by gender, but also unapologetically feminist? Yeah, you know, the, the term femc is just, ugh, I don't know what the youth call it. It's just dumb. I don't like it. It's cutesy. There's nothing cutesy about my music. Um, and it's just a way to kind of signal that somebody is lesser than. It's like calling someone an actress instead of an actor, which is gender neutral itself. You know, it just, it almost leads with a, a lack of seriousness for me when you call someone a femcy. So I always hated that term um, and what it signified as a departure from what a, what a quote unquote MC is. So there's a lot of songs like including uh, Labor of Girl where I talk a whole verse, I rap a whole verse about what it means to be an MC, not just a female MC, but an MC because I truly believe that those skills don't require gender, but there are so you know, many more men that feel empowered to, to claim the term MC than women. I, you know, I carry it with me everywhere I go. The way people treat me, the way they see me, sometimes I, I, I forget that they see me as an Asian woman. And, you know, as Filipinos, sometimes we don't know who to identify with. Is it Pacific Islander? Is it Filipino? Is it, I mean, is it Southeast Asian? Is it Asian? And so sometimes the way that I feel on the inside is not the way that I'm treated on the outside. And I had a short stint in reality te television as a journalist when I filmed my reality show, I'm from Rolling Stone. And the amount of racism and sexism that I experienced made me feel like I would never want to be famous. I would never want to be um, known more outside of my hometown than anybody because San Francisco is a bubble. And anytime you leave, the many identities that are so complex and nuanced and overlapping that I experience as a San Franciscan are not appreciated elsewhere. So even my name itself, Rocky Rivera, I chose that name because it sounds gender neutral. And when you see it on a bill, you don't automatically think, oh, it's a female MC. Because the real situation is if you put a female MC on a bill, they're going to get first, the first set, basically. Yeah, you mentioned Labor of a Girl. That song is also a collaboration with Bamboo. I'm wondering um, if you can talk about how your musical relationship, specifically with Bamboo, has, has nurtured your MC experience. Yes, well, you know, he, he'd like to think that he, you know, he had such a huge impact and discovered, you know, quote unquote, <laughs> discovered me and my music just got exponentially better since I met him. But um, the truth of the matter is, is that when he met me, I was an MC. There was nothing to hide. Uh, he never even has a say in what I write. The only time I ever bring him into the studio is after everything's written and recorded. And we fight like cats and dogs. I mean, we're on the same label. He's the president of the label. There's a lot of conflicts of interest is what we call it in journalism. But the truth of it is, is that he sees me for not just being his partner, not just being the mother of his children, but he truly is a fan of my music and to have somebody who was a fan of your music, but can also push you in the studio, teach you how to shorten words, to make deliveries more palatable, 
especially when you're so self-conscious because you're coming from a different language um, or at least another language that you knew first. And then, you know, him being able to be honest with me. Um, and that is something that everybody needs, um, not just in a partner, not just in a musical collaborator, but just in the people that you keep around you. Because we know that artists get duller when they don't keep people around you that tell you the truth. Um, steel sharpens steel. So it's important to have somebody that I'm a fan of, whose music that I respect, um, not just be my partner in life, but to be in the studio with me and to hold me down with what I'm talking about um, that is very controversial and very scary to other rappers in the scene. Um, to be with somebody who wrote a song like Pussy Kills and performs it at a community festival, you gotta have some big balls. I just gotta say that. <laughs> All right. For our audience who is not familiar with your song Pussy Kills, I'm not going to ask you to spit all of it right now. Can I mean, you could if you want, or if you could just describe it to bring people in, let people know what they're missing. Yes, I wrote that song probably the year before the word feminism, like, entered the lexicon again. And it was, you know, around the same time, maybe a little bit before the Me Too movement, where a lot of women were getting fed up by the way they were treated by media by music, by by people, by men in general. And um, that song, Pussy Kills, is one of those songs that immediately when I heard it, uh, it was produced by Ray Resurrection. And um, he's, he's out of San Jose. And uh, it was originally titled Kill Bill, the beat. And so I thought about that pussy wagon scene um, in Kill Bill. And I thought, hmm, I should write a song about this. And for Pinais, you know, we have all these cute little Filipino pet nicknames. Uh, but to say the word pussy and, you know, it felt shameful. It felt like, oh, I don't want to say that word. Or it felt like a pejorative, something you say to somebody when you're disrespecting them. So I had to reclaim that word you know, put the power in the piece, say it a thousand times, you know, my therapist calls it exposure therapy, you know, so I had to, I had to create a song where I was more and more comfortable with that word so that I could um, reclaim it per se. So do you keep track of the count? How many times do you say pussy in that song? <laughs> I don't know. I, I say I, I tell people that I say it 37 times, but I've never actually <laughs> I say it a lot. I say it so much, especially in my live shows, that there's almost like kind of a chorus at the end, kind of like row, row, row your boat where I'm rapping over the crowd saying the word or saying here, pussy, pussy, kill pussy, pussy. And I'm. And it's funny, every single time there's the most hardcore dudes, the most gangster dudes are so squeamish or so scared uh, when I say it um, out loud in the context and in the connotation that is positive and prideful as a woman. Well, so we've talked about you being a woman. We've talked about being a feminist. I wanted we and we've talked about that in the context of your actual music. I wanted to bring it out a little bit pull out and and talk about the context of your life as an artist i'm wondering like you um, we also established that your partner is also a, a rapper and a, and a professional musician what is it like for you to develop family routines 
that allow for your professional and creative growth as a performer. I mean, in the rap world, there's not exactly such a thing as maternity leave, right? Oh, yeah. No, no. I mean, but in, uh, in the rest of the world, there isn't maternity leave. So um, rap has actually helped me go on maternity leave because when I've left writing, when I've left my day job, the thing that supported me through my pregnancies and through my subsequent children was the music. So, I, I mean, I didn't even start rapping on record until I had my my son. Um, I recorded Married to the Hustle mixtape. Um, pregnant um, when I moved down to LA to be with my my partner and my first album I dropped after my son was born I recorded uh, Rocky's Revenge my most recent album 2018 when, while I was pregnant with my daughter so um, yeah there isn't really a family routine I think that when you are in a partnership that strives to have solidarity and be equal you realize that there are seasons there are seasons where he stays home with the kids. There's seasons where I stay home with the kids. You know, there's times where I have a day job. There's times where he has a day job or there's times where I'm on the road and there's times where he's on the road. But because of our values and our shared solidarity, we know that, you know, when it's time to go, it's time to go. And now that my son is a musician as well, he's a producer, um, it's just incorporating him into normalizing that there aren't these divided gender roles of hair. You stay home with the kids. You go on the road. You get in the studio. You perform. My daughter is like, she just thinks that everybody's mom goes on stage and raps and shouts their daughters out. <laughs> it's normal to her. And I hope that more families within hip hop, hip hop is 50, old enough to be a grandpa, and um, I hope that these families see that it's like we're taking it out of the the seedy venues and the questionable places and we're keeping it um, family friendly. We're keeping it in these hybrid spaces because hip hop has to grow and evolve. It can't just be for the grimy backstreets anymore. Um, hip hop is hella grown now. And now that it's my son listens to hip hop. I mean, I don't approve of his choice in music because it's terrible to me but um he will he would probably say the same he probably he probably thinks that his mom and dad rap like um you know like hip hop he he like he he probably thinks we rap like that too like he tells me rapping on beat is too formal so <laughs> it's weird you know like we're growing with hip-hop and we're taking it with us um and we're incorporating it in our family and it's become a family I mean, we're not going on the road as a band like the Partridge family, but I am saying the price, it might, soon in the future, it might be a, a deal for people to see all three of us or even all four of us on the same bill. <laughs> so we'll see where that goes. Yep, yep. Well, hip hop is definitely growing and developing. I can't really believe it's been 10 years since you released Gangster of Love. I was, uh, it was, it was a pleasure to work with you around that release. You have an event coming up, and, and we're going to have to wrap up this conversation real soon, but you have an event coming up to celebrate the 10th anniversary release of that album, along with a vinyl release of the album. I'm wondering if you can uh, share details of the event, give anyone an invitation to come through, and talk about the vinyl. Yes, we are collaborating with the Stax Record Shop. The Stax meaning, you know, that's a nickname for Hayward. Um their record shop we are releasing very limited qualities of the gangster of love album on 
limited edition pink vinyl, which is the color of the cover. Um, also complete with the full um, paper doll that Chioma designed, which is my take and my flip on uh, the classic paper dolls that little kids used to play with, little girls used to play with. Uh, but my twist um, as someone who... Um, always wants to revert back to uh, you know the narrative and so this event we're super excited because dj rosa is going to be spinning a 40 minute set i will be performing as well and we will have these limited edition um vinyl lps for sale which you can actually pre-order right now um on the stacksrecordshop.com to pick it up and i'll sign them um the day of like this you know Dropping a, a vinyl is something that's really for the, the fans and the collectors. So um, as somebody who feels very much in the classic vein of one MC, one DJ, and my DJ still spins vinyl, we want to keep the art form alive by going to a record shop, dropping a record, and having people come in person. Like, and w What's more classic in hip-hop than that? I think we're too used to the Twitch, the Twitch situation and, and being away from each other that it's going to be good to see you all on October 29th, which is the exact 10-year anniversary of Gangster of Love um, at Stacks Record Shop. That's Stacks Record Shop in Hayward. Rocky, we're going to have to wrap it up here. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, and it is so great to talk to you um, on this 10-year anniversary, especially since we did work together 10 years ago. It's, like I said, another full circle moment, which is amazing. Yes, yes, that's the voice of this week's Resistance in Residence artist, Bay Area rapper and hip-hop journalist Rocky Rivera, whose album Gangster of Love celebrates a 10-year anniversary this week. You can check her out at RockyRivera.com. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. Law and Disorders produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. Our Resistance and Residence theme music was composed by Jesse Strauss. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis. And subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listeners. If you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.